Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and committed to bringing you ideas and resources that will build your professional development plan. Thanks for listening. If you're a current nonprofit leader, or maybe you hope to be one, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit experts who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would, do me a favor, share this episode with one other person so that we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. Well, I had a fantastic conversation in this episode with Tom Lawrence, who's worked with dozens of nonprofits as the president of the Leon Levine Foundation gives him a unique and highly valuable perspective for you, the nonprofit leader who's listening. Of course, for those of you in the Carolinas, this is a foundation you need to know. And if you're listening from anywhere else in the world, you'll still appreciate the incredible philanthropic vision that Mr. Levine brought to the foundation some 40 years ago. But what's so great about Tom's insight is that he explains the framework by which the foundation evaluates hundreds of applications for funding. And let's face it, no matter where you are listening from, you ought to take note of these characteristics that Tom and his team are looking for. Because you have a philanthropist in your community that will appreciate the same things that the Leon Levine Family Foundation is looking for as well. In fact, Tom and I talk about the three key metrics that his foundation is looking for. And they are, number one, leadership, number two, track record, and number three, sustainability. And Tom talks about how they define each of those characteristics and how exactly they measure and not only will you be taking notes from what Tom shares, but the foundation has also put together some great worksheets that I've linked to in the show notes that every nonprofit leader should review before you next put together a proposal or a meeting with a funder. Well, even more reason to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 114. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com and you'll find out all of the resources, especially the ones Tom lifts up from the foundation itself, as well as more information on Tom and the great work of the Leon Levine Foundation. Speaking of resources, while you're on our website, make sure you connect with us. We're on all of the social media platforms, in particular LinkedIn. And make sure you're on our email list. Go to the bottom of the homepage, click on free resources so you won't miss a thing. Also, while you're on the bottom of our website, know that there's a chance for you to schedule a 15-minute no-obligation call. I'd be happy to talk to you about what your nonprofit needs in terms of strategic planning, board development, or maybe you and I can talk about what you need on your journey to nonprofit leadership. In particular, some of our coaching, training, or maybe our unique mastermind program, and we'll talk about whether it is a fit for you. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Tom Lawrence. Tom, thank you for joining me on the path. Patton, thanks so much. It's great to be with you this afternoon. Well, I'm excited about this conversation, Tom. You bring such a great perspective to the nonprofit leadership discussion, of course, that our listeners are interested in. Um, you and the Levine Foundation are literally investing in great organizations. And I know a key characteristic we'll talk about is, of course, demonstration of leadership. So, I guess given the incredible generosity Mr. Levine has demonstrated through the foundation, you get to see 
philanthropy come alive. But I wonder if for those of us listening, think, gosh, that must be all fun and games. In fact, there are opportunities, but I bet there are also challenges to your leadership. I wonder if you could start with that. Yeah, thanks, Pat. Uh, great question. Uh, you know, I, I like to start back with a little bit of history about Family Dollar itself in order to build up to, you know, how the foundation got to where it is. And, and briefly, of course, Family Dollar was started by Leon Levine right here in Charlotte in 1959 uh, and expanded rapidly across the, the region and eventually the country. But at its core, Mr. Levine was very focused on who is the Family Dollar customer. And at that time, um, a lot of the customers of Family Dollar really fit into those individuals and families who were, um, could be described as, as living in poverty. And his philosophy of buying at Family Dollar was one where he really worked hard to negotiate the lowest prices he possibly could and then pass those savings on to his customers. Right. Really helping to make those ends meet. And, and that's the philosophy that carried forward to the, to the foundation. And so today, the foundation's fundamental question is, how can we help individuals and families in need reach self-sufficiency? And we do that through four primary verticals of our mission, education, healthcare, human services, and Jewish values. It's a, it's a complex opportunity uh, that we have the, the chance to, to invest in. And that really is the challenge, but right. we embrace it because it is the opportunity as well. No, the mission is powerful. I love the way you illustrate it. And it's, it's great to hear the story behind the philanthropy that you're leading now. And I guess for you personally, Tom, why'd you get into this kind of work? What was the, the initial draw and motivation that I guess continues to drive you to this day? Yeah, well, life is about being in the right place at the right time. <laughs> right. I certainly was. I, in my former life, I was a CPA with a firm called Arthur Anderson. Uh, and about 20 years ago, I was lucky enough to be introduced to Larry Polsky, uh, who is a good friend of, of Mr. Levine's. And um, at the time, they were uh, looking to help create a family office. And a family office is a, a, a small organization which helps a, a, a single family with its investments, taxes, accounting, whatever's needed from a business perspective, and sometimes foundations. And in this case, the foundation was um, in, in its early stages as well. And over the years, um, we have gotten to build those two businesses. Uh, just how fortunate to have someone like Leon Levine as a teacher and mentor. Um, and so I, I get to spend every day um, overseeing the, the investments and the business side of what we do along with the grant making for the family. It, it's a tremendous place to be. Uh, and you've demonstrated that. And frankly, you wear many hats, I guess. And I wonder in the spirit of a topic that uh, all of our listeners are thinking about staying organized. So it's not just the foundation leadership. You are wearing multiple hats that, you know, Tom, how do you keep it all together? Well, uh, I'd be just as interested to hear from your listeners on this one as well, but there are a couple, uh, a, a couple of things that that come to mind. Um, you know, one of the one of the the, the great um, Microsoft suite rollouts that we have gotten here at our office recently has been in the form of OneNote, 
Interesting. Um, yeah, it's something that has come across our our plates here at the at the office, and I think a lot of folks here have embraced it. It's been a great way to stay organized, uh, especially with a um, with a uh, all digital and now um, significantly virtual world. Um, but I would say the, the the best way that that we manage organization has been um, much more difficult, but more satisfying to to uh, to have, which is having a great team. Our our office is just full of professionals who do such an amazing job with all of their roles and responsibilities. We keep each other organized, and it's a uh, it's a great way to see it all come together. Uh, it's fantastic, and you do indeed have some very talented team members. And I wonder, Tom, related to that, is what are you looking for uh, as you consider talent? And you've clearly built a, a very impressive team, but I wonder um, some of those listening that are in, on the nonprofit side have pondered, frankly, getting into the philanthropic side. And I wonder, are there some advice or kind of comments you can make there? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of it starts with a heart for philanthropy. Uh, an underlying um, automatic to have as, as part of this work. It's so important to be connected to what we do and who we do it for. Um, I think that's a really important part of it. You know, a, a fairly unique um, component of the, the search process that we have is looking for folks who have, um, you know, some potentially business experience or, or non-foundation, non-outside uh, of the nonprofit world. Um, because, you know, as we look at our philanthropy as investing uh, in leaders, investing in nonprofits, having that type of background gives us a unique, um, a, a unique viewpoint on how we make those grants. And so some of those folks have, have become very successful within our foundation. That's a great example. And I think that's, in fact, the advice I was wondering about that, yes, you're looking for the philanthropic or nonprofit experience, but you have well-rounded professionals too that bring experience as you did from different kind of uh, settings. And that's what I think nonprofit leaders, of course, need to look at as well. And we'll talk about that. But let me commend uh, clearly the wise investments and a good year in the stock market has allowed the Levine Foundation to be even more generous. So talk about this kind of record-breaking year that the foundation has enjoyed and frankly passed on that generosity. Sure. Uh, well, you know, we're, we're very lucky to be part of the Levine's philanthropy um, and, and, and what they do. And, um, you know, the, the foundation is, as you mentioned, in a very fortunate position to um, be a, a sizable investor of philanthropic dollars. You know, this, this past year, which just completed in, in June, um, donations were just in excess of 30 million, which is a, um, a record for us. And so we were very excited to be able to be part of the philanthropic solution across the Carolinas and, and be um, in partnership with so many amazing uh, nonprofit leaders. I think, you know, as we have worked over the last several years to, to build out as, as our assets have fortunately grown, um, I look at something like our geographic expansion work, which has been um, critical to this, this what, what we measure as success in the foundation. Um, in, in, up until 2017, the, the vast majority of our investments were right here in Mecklenburg County. Um, but the Carolinas have always been very important to the Levines. And so 
um, when, when we started looking at our geographic expansion work in early seven, early 17, Mr. Levine said, you know, let's expand through North Carolina, let's expand through South Carolina. And our, um, the grants that we diligence now uh, for the coming year, probably in the 350 grants range. So it's a very wow. uh, large amount and keeps us very busy, but, uh, uh, but gratified. And, you know, that's up from around 150 um, partners only a few years ago. Wow. So, uh, we, we, we've done our best with Mr. Levine's directive and um, it, it's, it's amazing to uh, get to fulfill his leadership as well. As you evaluated that expansion, Tom, I, I guess it did it fall proportionally along the same kind of four pillars of the foundation's mission, or did you find certain areas were maybe more acute and and you wanted to address, you know, as you expanded as well? It's really interesting. We, what we have found is that yes, we did uh, attack the uh, the strategy with the same four primary mission areas in mind. But what we found is what you described. Some um, some areas were stronger in these mission areas than others. In in one city, we would find the the, the best senior services program that we could find. In another, it might be uh, the the region's best Meals on Wheels. You, you never knew what you were going to find. We what we did find that was consistent was um, talented and dedicated leaders who were working so hard to fulfill their own missions. Um, and, and that's what really energized us as a staff uh, and as a board. Well, and I can only imagine the positive reaction you got from new communities that were not used to the relationship with you. How did you identify, I guess, did you look to some of your existing partners to find similar organizations further outside of Charlotte? We did. We, we, uh, word of mouth recommendations is always key. And uh, we, we have so much uh, trust and faith in our partners that asking them who they've worked with in other, in other areas, who some of the statewide organizations that we can start to expand to, those have been key and important. But also talking to other funding partners, other foundations, uh, private foundations, corporate, so forth and so on. There are so many other groups that have had long track records of investments across the Carolinas. We were able to work with them and, and figure out where are some of the um, the, the, the talented folks that we can partner with, an extremely helpful funding collaborative across our uh, region. I was going to ask you about that, both, I guess, informally, you do indeed collaborate with other great funders, which adds even greater impact. Um, are you pondering more of that? I guess I, I hear stories of funders thinking about, you know, collaborative funding to have even greater impact, but how does the Levine Foundation approach that? You know, I, I would say that we are constantly looking at uh, other funders who are part of the landscape of uh, of philanthropy. You know, when when a, part of our due diligence um, is to really dig deep into the financials and the sustainability of nonprofits, and to see what other funders are at the table with us. It, it not only allows us to um, leverage the great work that they've done. Um, but we hold so many of them in such high respect that to see their names as part of it is is, is truly important. You know, I think as as we've looked at other funder collaboratives across our community, that's an area that we 
have continued to be a part of and, and, and work hard to um, see more of that type of funding as the years go forward. Yeah, I wonder, again, as, as a nonprofit leader listening, I take it, Tom, you like to hear of other funders that are supporting me. Does that does that help my case, in other words, if I'm coming to you as a first-time applicant? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Not, not only does it help your case, but it's critical to the case for, from our perspective is to is to see, um, you know, the other funders that are at the table. It, it's a it's a core philosophy uh, of Mr. Levine that you know it, it takes a community to help support these important nonprofits and the people that they serve. And so, you know, through his through his guidance and direction, we've really worked hard to understand the other funders that are out there and how we all play our our part at the table. Yeah, it's well put. And I figured you don't want any nonprofit to be overly reliant on any one source of revenue, right? As much as you want them to be grateful, and they are grateful for your support, they need to have balance. And I know we'll talk about that in terms of sustainable models and so forth. But let me first ask you, as as a national leader, uh, and I've spoken to several like you, obviously the pandemic hit all of us in strange ways. How did it affect the, the Levine Foundation's approach to what it does? It was a substantial impact for, for our due diligence process and how we think about funding. Um, I, I can think back to last spring, 2020. Um, we had a lot of uh, meetings and conversations internally and really had to dig deep to figure out what's gonna be our process going forward. What we learned was, uh, happened in a, in a quick, time period, which was the importance of being flexible and adaptive. And I think that's a, a um, can be challenging, but with, with the team that we have in place and, and the board direction and talking with Mr. Levine, we really were able to get to a point where, you know, we had to convert a big portion of our due diligence process to be virtual and to rethink really how we give grants. Right. Um, because that's a, that's a, a key change to nonprofits needed funding in a different way. And that's how we needed to be flexible. You think that'll continue? Or are there certain elements you learned in the last, you know, year and a half or so that might continue? Or of course you want maybe to go back to the in-person versus virtual dynamic? I would say so. Yeah, we're, we're the, the, the team here is desperate to get back in person. Uh, <laughs> right. So much energy from being with our, with our partners and, and getting to see the work that they do in person. Um, I, I do think that the virtual um, due diligence and the virtual hybrid components of what we all do is going to be a lasting legacy of, of COVID. Um, I, I think that it will certainly be less than it has been, but it'll, it'll be a tool in the toolbox. I, I, I do think that um, a, a component that changed for us um, that I think was very important for our partners and will continue for some period of time is a, a shift of a lot of our restricted funding to unrestricted. Interesting. Yeah, that was a that was an area where, you know, uh, as we we'll, as we can talk about, um, our trust and faith in leadership is one of the key components to diligence. And when we find those great leaders to find ways to give them the unrestricted funding and the, the runway to do what they do best, um, that's become a core tenant. And during the pandemic, who knew better how to run their 
organizations than them. And so we were able to, to, to switch um, a, a good portion to, to unrestricted. Well, delighted to hear that. And, and you and I've talked before that clearly during a pandemic, uh, funders like you were very generous in terms of assuring operating you know, continuity. But you'd also know that the talk among the nonprofit leaders, of course, is like, all right, well, our foundation is going to go back to they want a shiny new program and they're going to make me work for something that perhaps is not exactly mission centric. So I guess asking you again, you're saying that you maybe will even be more receptive to unrestricted operating going forward. Yeah, I, I would I would tell you that um, unrestricted is is core to um, Mr. Levine's philosophy when it comes to the foundation. Um, as long as I've worked for him and, and, and even before, a, a lot of his grants were unrestricted in nature. And, you know, it, it does come down to that, that leadership trust. And, um, you know, I, I think there's always going to be an element of programmatic funding, um, but I, I, I do feel that the unrestricted uh, and general operating funding of the foundation is something that will continue for yeah. some time. Encouraging. Uh, well, let me ask you this. As Mr. Levine, you, your team, the board, look at the issues around the nonprofit kind of landscape, if you will. Are there certain things that kind of really are rising to the top or concern you? Or where are, are you focused as you look at the landscape around you? Yeah, um, so I would, I would tell you that... Um, what we have noticed, uh, and, and I'm, I touched on briefly before, was just the extraordinary work that the nonprofits of the Carolinas have undertaken and the impact that they have had on just thousands and thousands of people in need. Um, what, what we see, because we talk in such depth with leadership of these nonprofits, is uh, a, a an issue that concerns us around um, burnout and and you know these these staffs have been working so hard just grinding nonstop for the last you know year and a half or longer but just in a unique um, circumstance and environment so you know we're we're hopeful that um, that, that that nonprofits will really be able to focus on that and, and that there is. Um, some ability to get some relief from those as well. I, I think also the, the idea of nonprofit collaboration is another area that has been of concern, but I think is an area where folks are really looking harder at Interesting. Um, engaging and, and how do they identify their continuum and really work to collaborate across that continuum we're seeing more and more of those come across and, and hopefully over time that issue is less concerning. Yeah. I was going to ask you exactly that because I'm delighted you lift up the issue of burnout, the issue of, a, of, of, you know, overworked staff model in many nonprofits. So in terms of how the foundation can help, I guess one way uh, in, hypothetically you might encourage collaboration or would be willing to consider that as part of a grant proposal? Or are there other ways you've invested in nonprofits to help them with maybe this staff burnout issue? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that um, the, the general operating nature is a way to give those leaders who identify the, the areas of 
impact or the issues related to their organizations, it gives them the latitude to be able to apply those dollars as they best see fit and hopefully um, you know, being able to find the very best way to support um, their constituents uh, and their employees is important. I think for, you know, regarding collaboration, um, our, the, the, the breadth of our investing across the Carolinas has been a, a great way for us to get to understand the, the universe of the impactful nonprofits out there. And, you know, from time to time also be able to make introductions and connections with nonprofits. You know, um, how to help across a continuum is to make that, make that, uh, make that connection. And, and we have some, some talented team members here who, who really are, um, are, are very adept at being able to do just that. That's fantastic. And I'm glad you lift up how your team's talent translates into networking. And I'm sure as you continue to build partnerships with organizations across the Carolinas, that strengthens the network, which will only help those individual organizations be even stronger. And yes, I want to underscore your uh, unrestricted funding is perhaps the greatest gift you can offer a nonprofit leader, right? You're not telling them how to, to spend the money but they could certainly use it to expand their capabilities and so forth. So glad to hear that philosophic approach. It, you and I've talked about this, Tom, and I know you and the foundation are very sensitive to this, but it's a hot topic and should be in terms of the underserved and particularly minority-led nonprofits having less access to capital. And it's a national issue, if not an international, but I wonder how has that discussion gone there at the Levine Foundation, and what are you thinking are the best ways to address it? Yeah, it, it is a critical question, and certainly one that has been discussed across our community, across all communities um, in, in our region and across the, the nation. You know, I, I, while it's not necessarily an explicit part of our charge, we're eager and supportive to see more diversity uh, in leadership of nonprofits. Um, and, and, you know, we, we look at ways to be involved. I'll give you one example the Unite Charlotte Grant, the, the United Way here, um, provides not only funding, um, but capacity building for local grassroots organizations, which uh, have, may have minority-led, uh, minor, minority leaders, but also uh, advan advancing racial equity and economic mobility. We have so many talented leaders in this area that we support. It's very important to keep our eyes on this one. Uh, glad you are and you have and glad you lift up Unite Charlotte as an example of the type of programming that's going to help in many ways. Let me ask another, I guess, mechanical question about your grants approach, multi-year grants. Um, and again, I would think an organization, particularly early in its development, might worry that well, Tom, I just don't have enough time in one year, and I'm worried that you won't stay with me. But how do you philosophically, as a foundation, approach kind of multi-year grants? Sure. We have a couple of different ways that we look at multi-year grants. Um, from, from, the, from the very beginning, Mr. Levine has a history of multi-year grants, um, and it's, it's important to him. A lot of those are capital in nature. Um, so there've been, uh, uh, there are always a significant number of capital grants that are in progress, and these are usually larger, and they are paid over multi-year periods. 
Um, but uh, th there have also been a few endowment uh, campaigns funded the same way, but, but not as many of those as capital. We've looked at it uh, as well through operating grants. And, and, you know, I would say within operating, we have a very long history of ongoing funding. Now, I attribute that to the, um, to the strength of our nonprofit partners and being able to continue their impact and leadership. But it's also important for us to, through the spirit of partnership, have periodic check-ins. And so we're able to touch base with our, with our organizations that have um, continued to have ongoing funding. So it's not automatically multi-year, but, but it is, um, there is a, a history of organizations that have received funding um, for several years. Uh, and that's great. And in fact, I was going to ask you if an organization that's received funding, how many touch points roughly are there after you give me the grant over the course of the next 12 months, what are the general expectations for me to stay in touch with you and what kind of information are you looking for? Sure. Well, you know, it's important for us to balance the, the touch points, the diligence, the follow-up, but it's also balanced with the importance of letting these organizations do their important work. Good point. And, and so, you know, our touch points are not many. There, there may be um, a, a mid-year check-in, there may be a, a phone call here and there. Um, so we, we try not to um, insert ourselves too much into the, um, into the flow of the year for that nonprofit. I think it's, it is important when there is a significant event for the nonprofit to reach out and talk to us about it. Um, it could be a, a, a change in leadership uh, it, it could be a significant grant that they've won. Um, it, it could be uh, some sort of other significant issue that we should be aware of. That's an expectation we have for our partners um, and, and a, an openness and a willingness to be able to hear those and discuss them. That's such a good piece of advice, Tom. So if I've got particularly good news or particularly bad news, I'd be smart to just keep you in the loop, right? And not kind of wait until the end of the funding cycle. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, this is uh, one of the features of our conversation I'm excited about because I think that you and the foundation have such a wonderful matrix for how you evaluate organizations. And this is advice, whether somebody's you know literally eligible for found funding from your foundation, but frankly, a listener anywhere, this is such good feedback. And I, let's talk about these kind of three elements you're looking for, leadership, track record and sustainability. And of course, I'm encouraging our listeners anywhere that they are listening, they should think about these three because I know it will help their funding ability. So start with leadership, Tom. What are you looking for when you start with an organization and its leadership? Yeah, so the, these are the three tenets of, of, um, of due diligence that Mr. Levine taught us from the from the very beginning for what, what really are those agencies that, that he knows are going to be successful and, and are gonna be able to, um, uh, to, to be able to steward uh, these important dollars. And from a leadership perspective, certainly it's the most important determinant of success for any nonprofit from our perspective, period. Right. Um, it, it really comes down to uh, a highly effective leadership at both board and staff levels. 
Um, and you know, it's 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 the organization's impact and culture is a reflection of its leadership. So from the board, from the staff perspective, you know, obviously having a deep understanding of how the organization fulfills its mission is key. But beyond that, it, there, there's got to be an understanding of how the business operates, how the nonprofit operates. So being able to understand, you know, the logistics and the taxes and the office and the accounting and the human resources, it could be anything, but there, there's got to be a full understanding of, of how that works. And, and a lot of times it depends on where the organization is in its life cycle. So a, an organization leader that's just building or just starting its nonprofit may be in one place, but a very experienced leader may be, they may be out in front leading their entire sector, right. not only their nonprofit. I think the, the, the key differentiator that we see in a lot of places as well is the leadership from the board. Um, really what, what makes it for a, for a good, a good board is understanding how the board fits with the foundation, uh, with, with the nonprofit. You know, specifically, what's its identity? Is it a fundraising board? Is it a working board? Or is it a governance board? Um, and, and really being able to understand um, you know, the, the, the mission. Uh, can board members articulate the why behind the organization? Um, you know, we, we can tell fairly quickly um, are board members on there for a, a resume line item, or do they really believe and are bought into the uh, to the mission of the nonprofit? That we found the latter really has a substantially um, improved impact for those nonprofits. How do you evaluate that, Tom? I'm imagining so you're in you're in the boardroom. You've got staff and board members at the table. Are you and your team literally like, all right, is that board member answering questions or are they always deferring to the staff or are there certain kind of cues or clues that you look for to demonstrate board engagement? Uh, you're exactly right. So with, with each of our with each of our due diligence um, uh, efforts, we we try to have a, a, a meeting uh, or something in person with 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 the, with the executive director and the board chair. Uh, both together. And so, you know, frequently we'll, we can tell pretty quickly, um, does the board member, um, is the board member able to answer questions about the organization? Uh, we'll ask the board member direct questions as well. I, I think it's just important because, you know, not only should the board member understand the organization and be able to support um, the, the executive director, but the executive director should be in a position to take strategic direction from the from the board and the and the board chair, and so being able to provide strategic direction, yeah, it's incumbent on that board leader to be able to understand how the nonprofit works, to understand where the impact is coming from, and then be able to help that particular staff leader in the most effective way. Yeah, so glad to hear you say that. And of course, you've been a wonderful speaker at our Leadership Gift School program. Because frankly, we want board members to hear that. And I hope those listening to this episode might consider sharing it with their board leader. Because I think you're right. A lot of board members are just along for the ride or the resume kind of enhancement instead of realizing their their absolute responsibility. Now, if if I'm the executive director, Tom, and your team walks in the room, what are you looking at from me? I mean, are you 
are you going to be looking at my resume and, you know, previous experience or what, what are you looking at when you are evaluating an executive director? Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's really important for, for us to, to build that partnership with the executive director and to really understand. Um, I think part of it is the background. Part of it is where, where did they come from and why are they there? How did they get there? Um, why is this particular mission important to them? Uh, and, and then beyond that, it's really the, that understanding of, of the business and of how the nonprofit works. Do they have a full understanding of their fit into the, into the continuum, into their community? Uh, you know, really being able to articulate the why behind that, uh, the existence of their organization. Such a good point. So, it, but it's not just the why of our individual kind of silo as a nonprofit organization, but you'd like me to be able to articulate how we fit into a broader ecosystem of serving the community or whatever sector we're in. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And and to your point, the you know the the the, the challenge that we have with with staff leaders with executive directors frequently comes from that you know the understanding of the of the business. They're very passionate uh, about a particular issue. They may be a founder, but there's got to be that uh, that ability to manage uh, an organization, manage people, manage a budget, manage a board. Uh, all that has to be all, uh, you know, tied together uh, for an effective staff leader. That's such a good point. I had a, a guest and you and I both know uh, Jim Warren uh, was on here and he's talking about, yeah, the passion for the mission's good. But you got to be able to run the business, and it sounds like Tom, you you're looking for that too. Yeah, passion is good, but if you can't trust this leader to manage a team and manage a budget and all that, then that frankly might inhibit their ability to get funding from you or anyone else. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about the second tenant track record. What did Mr. Levine mean, and how do you kind of manifest that concept when you're evaluating a nonprofit? Yep. So, so this is our, our frequently our more quantitative analysis. Um, you know, here the, the 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 challenge for us and for nonprofits is how do we record uh, and demonstrate outputs versus outcomes? That's usually what it comes down to. An output being just a a numerical feature of how many people or uh, or episodes or families or, or uh, meals. It could be anything uh, that, that is just counted um, that, that the nonprofit is able to provide. Right. And, and that's tremendously important uh, and, and certainly a measure of, uh, of impact and track record. But ideally, the nonprofit is able to show outcomes, which for us is the proof that the work that the nonprofit does has a particular effect on the clients or the constituents life and, and is somehow improving and, and helping them reach self-sufficiency uh, in, in, some, in some way or fashion. So I think it's, you know, it's a challenge to, um, to come to those and, and certainly the outcomes concept is more difficult um, and can be more costly. But, um, you know, it certainly is uh, a, a, a great way to show a track record of, of success. You know, a, a lot of times those outcomes are based on research or best practices. 
Right. Um, and, and that's certainly a way that we've seen a lot of nonprofits connect with their track record and, and really be able to show the, you know, the why behind the importance of their nonprofit. Well, if you're not taking notes now, you should be, because it seems to me those two key questions, being able to define outputs, which you're acknowledging, yeah, you do want to know kind of what my program delivers and the numeric value there, but outcomes even more importantly, I, given what you acknowledge is the challenge sometimes of having the research capabilities to track things, how do you evaluate if a nonprofit, you know, they're understaffed, do you acknowledge that? Or I guess you would encourage them though, to access research at, at different levels or how, how might they address that? If they're like, gosh, Tom, we don't have the capability to provide you that outcome research. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I, I would imagine in almost all scenarios, uh, especially for smaller or newer nonprofits, um, the, the the theory of change or the theory of impact is going to be based on uh, some amount of research from somewhere. Um, and so, you know, having that and being able to multiply it by outputs um, certainly is a, a way to show track record. So for those organizations that that don't have the ability to provide a full, robust research process that they've created and um, prepared for themselves, which a lot don't have that ability. Um, you know, I would say that the ability to connect to research um, that is related to their particular field and then uh, apply that to the outputs is certainly another good way to do it. Great advice. Their foundations like yours, their community foundations, of course, all over the world, their universities, right, other institutions that are likely doing research that could support my nonprofit's case for support. So that's good to hear you're open to that. And again, what a wonderful checklist you're providing, frankly, Tom, for any nonprofit preparing to seek funding. Let's talk about the third one, sustainability. What do you mean by that and how do you evaluate it? For sustainability, we're looking two primary areas, financial and operational. Within the, within the financial area of sustainability, that really is looking at the finances uh, uh, of the organization. And, and we typically will look at the, the trends of income and expenses over the last several years and, and, and want to see, hopefully it's trending upward and that more impact is, 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 is tying in with the track record that we've just seen because the organization is able to fund it in a, a higher way each year. But we're also looking to who are the other donors. And we, we talked about that uh, earlier in the, in the podcast. Who else is at the table? Is there a particular funder um, which, which is providing uh, you know, more, more funding than they should and there's an over-reliance on that funder? You know, what's the right mix of personal, individual, corporate, so on and so forth? So that financial sustainability is key, especially for us around contributed revenue. Uh, that's an area we'll dig, dig fairly deep into. The other side of sustainability is operational. Is the staff mix appropriate for what the organization not only is doing today, but also is looking to do in the future, where, it, where the growth trajectory is taking the organization and that strategic direction that the board has laid out is the right mix of, of um, staff and board in place to be able to adequately fulfill that, uh, that direction. So we try to take a good look at both of those 
and understand is the organization sustainable. Both in what they're doing now, but to your point, if they're growing, you want to see not just raw kind of staff size growth, but the technical expertise. Is that is there an evaluation kind of qualitative as well as the quantitative numbers of how big the team is? Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And that and that ties in with the evaluation of leadership, right. making sure that the, the the right folks are in the right in the right places, uh, whether it's on the um, the program side, uh, you know, the program directors, do they have the experience that they need? The, the folks in finance, do, do they have the, the type of backgrounds that are that are necessary for success? And, and the board level, what's the what's the mix of the board look like? Um, all of those are, are critical puzzle pieces. Uh, and I want to lift up in all three of these cases, Tom, you've got great resources on your website that I have referred many nonprofits to. And we'll, of course, add to the show notes because literally this becomes a checklist, I think, for an organization preparing for funding, not just for you, but for any funder. Um, I know you won't speak in absolutes, nor should you, but are there certain things that are, in essence, disqualifiers? For example, if if there's a lot of turnover with the nonprofit's organizational leadership, is that among the things that kind of become a red flag for you and your team when you're looking at organizations? Yeah, um, yeah from a uh, from a disqualifier standpoint, you're right. Um, uh, as long as they are five hundred one c three organizations and they fit our mission, um, certain, certainly there's an eligibility there. But I, but I I would say also that um, turnover of leadership is something we look at. It, it doesn't necessarily um, stop funding from happening, but it is something that we're able to work with. And especially you know, within, within sustainability, we will look very frequently for, is there a succession plan in place? That's a critical part to our, to our funding uh, from a sustainability standpoint. Because if there's a succession plan in place and we're comfortable, the, the board and staff is able to, um, to, to weather the turnover of a, of a uh, leader. I would say the, the one area that becomes a red flag for us, uh, and we discussed this earlier, is if we read about the executive director leaving the organization online. Or <laughs> and and nobody told you. <laughs> before they've told us, that becomes an issue. Uh, absolutely. My gosh, underline that, uh, as a lesson to communicate with your key donors. And that's uh, a great way for you to reinforce. And I, I'm delighted to hear you, uh, also underline the succession planning, because frankly, I don't think a lot of nonprofits have that. So I'm guessing simply partnering with you is kind of forcing a lot of organizations if they hadn't already, I mean, you're literally making that kind of a criteria. Is that fair to say? I would say so. Yeah, at this point, that is something we explicitly look for. Um, and for the organizations that, that don't have it, we highly encourage them to work on that uh, before next year's funding. Yeah. One final question in the evaluation. Again, a lot of our listeners are thinking for a funder like you, Tom, and the Levine Foundation, um, are you open to conversation before I apply? How, how would you describe the general dynamic? Again, nonprofit leaders are nervous sometimes about can I ask them a question? What, what, how, how would you describe philosophically how you and your team approach that? Yeah, so we, we do try to create that partnership atmosphere. Um, so we, we do like the back and forth. 
Um, you know, typically what, what, what happens is there is a preliminary conversation with the, the leaders that we're uh, in, in, in partnership with. And, you know, if it's a new grant, someone we've never funded before, there'll be that introduction, that introductory conversation. It may be, it may be virtual, it may be over the phone, it may be in person, but, you know, in order to get to know each other better, learn what we're looking for, understand more about their nonprofit, um, you know, that, that will happen ahead of time. I would say, you know, as a general rule, um, we don't take a lot of just I incoming um, conversations just because it would be, it, it becomes very difficult with the volume of nonprofits that's out there. Right. But, it, but it is, it is key that, you know, once into our, in, into the program, you know, we're able to have those conversations throughout the year as needed in order to be able to support uh, our nonprofits. And, you know, we, we still have the, the best way to get to us is through our website. We accept letters of inquiry uh, as introductions. That's the very best way to, to start a relationship. Those get sent electronically to our talented uh, mission area leads and, and they follow up and continue the conversation from there. So there, there are certainly ways to get there. Yeah, great point. And again, like many funders, you've put great information on the website. Do your homework if you're a nonprofit leader and obviously don't waste your time or your team's time if you're simply not eligible at all. But it's nice to hear once eligibility is confirmed and that initial contact is there, you're open to the conversation. And that's uh, certainly been evidenced by your team. Um, Mr. Levine, of course, showed incredible vision 40 years ago, right, or more as he pondered his philanthropy. How does he look to the future? You know, you literally have a founder of a foundation that's done incredible work for decades. I wonder, does he speak about the vision even beyond him? Because I'm sure he wants his philanthropy to leave an even greater legacy. Yeah, and, and he does. And I, I think, you know, where where we have gone under his guidance and, and direction ha, has been to really work hard on um, it, it expanding that footprint. You know, it, it really is um, finding those nonprofits which have which, which help support the, the family dollar customer, help support the um, the, the folks in need. Uh, you know, so much in our in our community um, and across the Carolinas. I, I think that's where uh, he hopes his his legacy will be in, in that area and and potentially beyond. I think. Um, you know, he, he has really um, worked hard across his years to create a very successful business. Um, certainly one of the most successful that's, that's ever been started in, in, our, um, in, in the Carolinas. And uh, I, I think we're all immensely uh, proud to be a part of his philanthropic legacy. It, it's amazing to think that here's a person could do whatever uh, he'd like to do, and he chooses to spend so much time, effort, and resources to be able to give back to the community that supported him so much, um, and, and to really pull that legacy forward. It, it's very, very gratifying for me, for the entire team to be a part of that. Yeah, it's it, the Carolinas are certainly a better place as a result of his incredible generosity. And he's hardly retired, is he, Tom, in terms of, of his uh, impact and what he wants to continue to do. So that's that's fun to see. Absolutely. Very engaged. He still reviews <laughs> all of our grants and we're, we're grateful for that opportunity. Wow. 
Well, let me ask you one more question uh, before we move into the closing section about kind of the national landscape, Tom. What what kind of conversations exist between maybe you and other leaders across the country? Are there any other trends or highlights that you've seen in those national conversations that perhaps our listeners might want to consider? You know, I think a, a, a lot of those uh, what, that, that we've been a part of have been similar to some of the themes that we've discussed today. You, you look at the measurement of nonprofits and their impact. Um, you, you, you look at um, the, the outcomes versus outputs conversation. That, that's been something that a lot of nonprofits and a lot of other philanthropic leaders have really been trying to get their arms around and, and understand better. You know, I, I think about um, the, the, the continuums and the collaborations that organizations have, um, you know, how they, how they fit together, how they work together, um, you know, really having that understanding is key. And, and I think what we've seen really from a, a trend standpoint is how intertwined the different sectors are becoming. You know, you look across, across our four mission areas, so many of them touch more than so many organizations touch more than just one mission area. Interesting. Um, and so that's been uh, critical uh, for us to get our arms around, but also for other, uh, other nonprofits, other foundations really to think about how, do, how does grant making um, start to adjust in that type of world? Yeah, Tom, it's a great point. And of course, throughout this conversation, you've given a ton of good advice. Um, including those trends that I think our nonprofit listeners need to be studying. Of course, the checklist literally you've provided in terms of if I'm a nonprofit leader, what I need to think about in terms of my eligibility for funding. Um, is there any other advice in addition to all that? You know, if someone comes to you and says, hey, Tom, I'm thinking about getting into nonprofit leadership. Um, and you and I both have had conversations, both, you know, literally the college graduate or increasingly the somebody in corporate America that's like, hey, Tom, I'm, I want to make the jump. What do you say? What, what would you say to someone like that? I think it's a great opportunity to be engaged and involved in the community. Um, finding a nonprofit that really connects with your personal philosophy, um, connects with how you believe the world should be or a place that you can make a difference you know, that, that's the, the first key characteristic. I think that's the first place you look. And, and there are so many nonprofits um, that are out there that really uh, can use that help. Um, you know, I, I, I think we, we have seen new, a lot of new nonprofits get started up. And, and I would encourage folks to think about, is it a new nonprofit that is needed? Or can your skills and talents and resources be um, leveraged at an existing nonprofit just as easily, you know, because I think it really gives a great chance for folks to not only further a, a mission and a, and a nonprofit that has already started and established itself, but also really be able to um, uh, help it from a professional standpoint, from a board standpoint, um, and, and, and have, help it to have more impact. It's such a good point. And not that there aren't new ideas that might emerge, sure. sure. But I agree with you wholeheartedly that the nonprofit sector that exists now needs talented individuals. So there's a spot for you, right? Exactly. And so exactly it, right. I like that you're saying let's evaluate those opportunities first. One final 
parting gift, Tom. This has been fantastic. You've already given our listeners a ton to think about. But as you know, I wonder if there has been a book that's been meaningful to you or one that you might recommend to our listeners. Well, it's a, a, a great question. Um, uh, and, you know, there, there have been a few that I have, have read over the years, you know, um, as I got started with foundation work and have really uh, c- continued to uh, move in my career in foundations, the, the books that Joel Fleischman has written, he's, he's written several, um, but, but those have been instrumental for me. Right. And I think really talk to the inner workings of a foundation and, and how they work. Um, you know, recently I've been, um, uh, uh, listening to podcasts and, and, and a, a book on leadership, which is next on my list is called extreme ownership, uh, by Jocko Willink. Yes. Um, I've heard about good things about that. Yeah. He's a re- retired Navy SEAL working to apply his leadership lessons that he's learned from his experiences on, on businesses, organizations, and, and life in general, um, a, a fascinating and unique perspective on leadership. Wonderful. Delighted to lift that book up in particular, but also Joel Fleischman's kind of uh, efforts as well for those interested in learning more. Uh, Tom, thank you. This has been fantastic. Where can people find out more about you and the great work you're doing through the Leon Levine Foundation? Sure. Well, I, I think uh, a great place to start is our, our website, leonlevinefoundation.org. Um, you know, I, I think it's um, got some some good information that we've talked about here uh, today. We, we did write checklists, like you said, around leadership track records, sustainability, some of the things that we look for in particular. We don't necessarily go through all of those, but it could help a, a new or um, a startup nonprofit with some of those concepts. Um, and it's also got some great long form articles under the stories section on the website. Social media, uh, we're participating in LinkedIn. Facebook, Twitter, um, and you know, as we've just completed the year, we're about to launch a year-end summary series um, that was related to, to last year. So we're excited to, uh, to, to be a part of that from a social media perspective. I will happily uh, include that information in the show notes. And again, Tom, thank you for the wisdom you've shared and, of course, for helping illustrate uh, Mr. Levine's philanthropy all over the Carolinas. And these are good lessons for people listening all over the world. So thank you again for joining me on the path. Thank you, Pat. And it's been great to be with you this afternoon. Appreciate what you do and appreciate what all of your listeners are doing in in terms of leading their nonprofits and having just an amazing impact on our community. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tom as much as I did. And I know you came away with some practical ideas that will help sharpen your case for support as a nonprofit leader. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe. Just go to the podcast page at patentmcdowell.com and you'll see links to Apple and all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.